And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all aside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's take a second and pray and uh, ask God to help us as we spend a few minutes looking at this text tonight. Please pray with me. Father, again, we ask that you would come and do good work in our hearts. Help us to believe what is true about you and about ourselves and about how you have made a way for us to come back to you. And Father, we pray tonight that you would cast out the fear that sometimes overwhelms our hearts and always seems to simmer just below the surface and help us, as you called Jairus and as you called this woman, to believe in you. Help us to believe in you tonight. By your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you do when you ask God for something and he doesn't answer? Or he at least doesn't answer when you want him to answer you or in the way that you want him to answer you. How do you react when your worst fears are realized? 
What do you think of God when you plead with him and things still don't go the way you hoped they would? Those are some of the really difficult questions that this passage that Valida just read for us begins to tackle in really quite an interesting and profound way through this incredible story. We've been making our way here at Christ Church through Mark's gospel. And um, one thing we see almost every week is that Jesus, through this story, is asking you and asking me each time we encounter him through the word to consider and decide who he really is. Is he who he says he was? And did he really do what he claimed to do? That is the question that Mark constantly thrusts upon us. And it comes at us again tonight in, I think, very interesting ways. Jesus, we saw last week, was across the Sea of Galilee in the non-Jewish part of the ancient world. And we read here tonight in verse 21 that now he comes back over across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum, his sort of home base for ministry early in his ministry, to the Jewish-dominated region of the ancient Middle Eastern world. And we read that he's greeted in verse 21 by a great crowd. Now, the crowds at this point in Jesus' ministry function sort of like... um, sort of like the chorus in like an ancient Greek play or the chorus in a Shakespearean play. It's probably been a while since some of you have read one of those plays, but the chorus basically functions as the audience. Their role is to sort of help us understand the motives and the way we're to respond to the main characters in the story. And that's kind of how the crowd in Jesus' ministry is at this point. They're, They're observers of all that Jesus does and says, and very importantly, their attitudes toward Jesus shift and change just as the wind shifts and changes. But for now, they are crowding all around him as he comes back into the Judean countryside. And it's really important to note as we make our way through Mark that at the end of the last story where Jesus healed the demon-possessed man, we had people telling Jesus, please go away. Please leave us. And contrasting that, here in 21 and 22, we have people, particularly desperate people, begging Jesus not to leave, but rather to come to them. Rather than Jesus being disinvited, Jesus is invited into people's lives, into people's problems, into people's stories. That idea is sort of the heartbeat of the text tonight. And one thing you see as you think about all of the people, all of the characters that Jesus runs into in these verses, is that every single one of them is desperate at the moment in which Jesus meets them. The situation and the people that Jesus encounters in this story are desperate. This is a really famous story. It's found in all three of the synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And what Mark is doing here is sort of doing the split screen thing. He starts one story, and then in the middle of that story, there's an interruption where we see this woman who has the discharge of blood. Her her character and her story just abruptly enters the scene. Jesus deals with her, and then boom, it goes back to Jairus and Jairus's daughter. But the thread that ties these people together, again, is the absolute sense of desperation that they felt at the moment in which they met Jesus. What God, through the scripture, wants to communicate in telling us these people's stories, what he wants to communicate to me, and what he wants to communicate to you, is the idea 
that Jesus asks us not to be afraid. Even when our situations are desperate, he calls us not to fear in life or even in death, but to believe in him. You could summarize the entire story that we just read in that sentence. Jesus asks us not to fear in life or in death, but to believe him. Now, that's much, much easier said than done, especially when you find yourself like these people do here tonight in a desperate situation. But the Holy Spirit works on our hearts in such a way that we can actually go through life without fear, but with faith instead. So let's see how God does that for us. Three things I want to show you, okay? Thinking about the idea of Jesus asking us not to fear in life or in death. Three things. First, we are called, or Jesus tells us, don't fear asking. Second, don't fear waiting. And third, don't fear the ending. Don't fear asking, don't fear waiting, don't fear the ending, okay? So let's go. So first, don't fear asking. As I mentioned a second ago, even on the first reading of this story, it's one that just reeks of desperation. Uh, And first, we come across this man named Jairus in verse 22. Mark tells us a few things about him, most prominently there, that he is one of the rulers of the synagogue. In other words, Jairus is a spiritual and moral stalwart in the community. He is respected, admired, and important. He is everything that Jewish parents want their little Jewish boys to grow up to be. Jairus is a model of chastity and faithfulness and obedience to God. And what we find him doing here, a respectable, ancient Jewish man, is this. Mark tells us he came to Jesus and seeing him fell at his feet. Now, in the ancient Jewish world, even more so than today, that is not something that respectable, adored, important men did. They don't go around falling down, groveling in the dirt at some Jewish rabbi's feet. They are far too above that. Their station is too important. It just wasn't a way that a man expressed himself in that world that was in Jairus' particular position especially. It's somewhat similar today. But that's exactly what Jairus does upon seeing Jesus. We read that he falls down at his feet and he implored him earnestly. He asks... He asks Jesus something. He says, my little daughter, Luke tells us that this is his only daughter. My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. You see, Jairus at this point in his life, respectable though he is, honored though he is, important though he is, sacrosanct though his position in the synagogue is, is not unwilling to get down on his knees and beg Jesus to help. He's in a situation that is desperate. And so the question becomes, have you reached a point in your life where you're desperate enough for help that you will beg for it? Jairus finds himself in that exact situation here, and it's an important lesson for each one of us to experience the life and the healing and the hope and the renewal of Jesus. We have to understand our desperate condition, and we have to be willing to ask him for help. But we're often afraid to do that, aren't we? Especially if you're a male in the room. 
We're afraid to ask for help for just about anything, but much less ask in a sense that puts our noses in the dirt, being willing to admit that we can't do anything to help ourselves in this particular situation. But in order to understand the gospel, in order to understand the way of Jesus and the message of Jesus, you must understand that getting over the fear of recognizing your dependence and asking for help is oftentimes the first step in a new life and relationship with Jesus, the Son of God. As the old hymn says, all the fitness God requires is that you feel your need of him. And we have to trust that he can help us. But again, many of us don't want to do that. We're afraid to ask, possibly because we don't want to embarrass ourselves. We're supposed to be competent. We're supposed to know what to do. We're supposed to be able to run our households well and look like we have it all together. And to ask for help goes against the basic the basic ideal that we often think, particularly, again, you men, of what it means to be a man that sort of is in charge of things and doing things rightly. I imagine that oftentimes Jairus thought the exact same thing, but here he finds himself willing to ask, you know, willing to implore Jesus, willing to plead with Jesus for help. Are you willing to do that? You know, we need to become much, much more like our children. I've got three kids. And none of them are in the least bit afraid of asking me for help. I mean, they often ask me for help for things that are ridiculous, in my opinion, at this point. Like, for example, Dad, will you please go get me a cup of water? Go get yourself a cup of water. Refrigerator's right there. The cup. Well, Dad, I can't reach the, you know, I can't reach the cabinet. Well, go get a stool and get on the stool and open the cabinet and get the water. You know, they're not at all afraid to ask for help. They ask for help for everything all the time. Thankfully, God's a much better father than I am. He doesn't say, go get yourself a stool, like I say to my kids. But in a sense, there's a reason Jesus is constantly encouraging us to to be like little children. We are to be like little children in the sense that children recognize how dependent they are. Children aren't afraid to ask. Children know very clearly that they're limited. Jairus had come to that point in our story tonight. The question is, have you come to that point? Jesus will never reject our requests for help. He will never turn us away when we ask him for something. He might not give us what we ask for when we want it or in the way that we want it, but he will never reject us. So the question again is, can you trust like Jairus does here and drop down on the ground and implore God for help? Don't fear asking. The meat of the story, though, is in the second point. Don't fear waiting. So Jairus asks Jesus for help, and Jesus decides to go with Jairus and the great crowd. They're kind of like the paparazzi at this point, you know, snapping photos. And that was possible, of course. Snapping photos of Jesus. The great crowd followed him, verse 24, and thronged about him. He can barely even walk forward. You can imagine the disciples sort of serving as bodyguards, shoving people out of the way so that Jesus could follow Jairus to his house. And then in verse 25, again, we see this abrupt distraction come in. Mark suddenly introduces us to this woman who we read had had a discharge of blood, a hemorrhage, for 12 years. 12 years. This is a woman who has been chronically ill for over a decade and has been, keyword, waiting. Waiting for someone to help her. We read that she's gone to see the doctors and the doctors, rather than helping her, have actually made her worse. I'm sure none of us have ever had that experience with our own physicians, but that was this woman's experience. 
And the idea that's implicit here is that she had sort of been suckered into giving up her life savings for these medicines that were really just conjurer's tricks that weren't going to do the job so that at this point she's bankrupt, she's sick, and there's no one to help her. But in verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touches his garment. This woman has been waiting for a long time to get better. And at the point where Jesus passes by, she says, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. Now, that is, among other things, an example of faith for you and for me. Can you imagine waiting? I mean, some of you have experience with this. Waiting 12 years for something like that to go away. I mean, the temptation to become cynical. The temptation to become angry. The temptation to become jaded would be overwhelming at times. So that perhaps after 12 years, when a possible solution does arrive, you might find yourself saying, you know what? I've tried this all before. There's no chance I'm ever going to get better. I'm done with it. I'm not even getting out of bed today. But that's not what this woman does. She wasn't afraid, at least in this instance, to wait. And she reaches out and touches Jesus It's not really clear why she touches him. It's possible that there there might have been some superstition involved there, like Jesus' clothes are going to be some kind of relic, you know, and if she just touches them, then boom, presto, magically, she's healed. And I think that's part of the reason why Jesus calls her out. He says that Mark tells us that Jesus felt power coming out of him, verse 30. And so he turns around in the middle of this crowd and said, who touched my clothes, right? Who touched my garments? And the woman comes out. And eventually, we read there in 33, she tells the whole truth and nothing but the truth to Jesus and to the crowd. And Jesus makes it clear to her there in verse 34 that it wasn't, as one commentator wrote, the grip of the garment that healed her. Rather, it was the grasp of her faith. It was the grasp of her faith in Christ that secured the healing that she sought. I don't know what you guys are all going through. As your pastor, I have some idea that some of you are suffering in particular ways right now. And I want you to hear the encouragement offered to you here through God's word. No matter how long you have to wait, it's never appropriate to conclude that God has forgotten you. No matter how tired you are of the same old sickness, there is never a moment in God's mind where you have become indifferent to him. That's what this woman had to believe, and it's what God is, through this story, calling us to believe. But as if this woman doesn't make the point about waiting herself, I think the more fascinating point, so to speak, is what happens with Jairus. Think about this. Jairus has come and said, my daughter is about to die. Like, she has an hour left. She is on her deathbed. The literal translation there is she is deathly. She's at the very point of death. And you need to hustle, Jesus. Let's go. Back to my house. Pronto. Call the emergency you know, ambulance. Let's get there quick because she's literally in her last seconds. And so they're making their way through the crowd. And then all of a sudden, Jairus turns around and Jesus is nowhere to be found. And so Jairus makes his way back through the crowd. He shoves this peasant out of the way, shoves that peasant out of the way. And there's Jesus sitting there talking to this old woman that Jairus has probably seen on the outskirts of the synagogue who's clearly chronically ill. Imagine, if you're Jairus in that moment, what you were thinking. Jesus, did I not make it clear how desperate this situation is to you? What makes you think, Jesus, that you have the time to stop and talk to this lady? This is a catastrophe. 
This is horrendous. And, you know, as Americans, in some ways, we would say that this is malpractice. I mean, think about it this way. If these two people, the chronically ill woman with the hemorrhage of blood and the girl that's about to die, both go into an emergency room. And the doctor says, you, little girl, wait right there while I take care of this person with a chronic illness rather than the person with the acute illness. What, he's going to have a lawsuit on his hands. It's malpractice. It makes no sense to our American minds. It seems crazy that Jesus is really fundamentally here asking Jairus to wait at possibly the most desperate point of his entire life. Jairus has displayed faith here. He's gotten down and begged Jesus, and Jesus thinks that there's time for him to stop and hang out with the lady that's certainly going to be there on the way back from his house, still bleeding, still in need of help. And then the news comes. While he was still speaking, 35 There came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Jairus' worst fears are realized in that moment, right? His life becomes a nightmare. He gets a bit of really, really tragic news. And he's got to be thinking, Jesus didn't do it. He let me down. He didn't heal her. He didn't get there in time. His only daughter, his beloved child, the very light of his eyes, was dead. What in the world is Jesus going to say to Jairus at that point? (laughs) Don't fear. Only believe. Now, that is either the wording of someone who is supremely misguided or supremely confident in his own power. And there's really no in-between. Jesus says to Jairus at the absolute worst moment of his life, where Jairus at that very moment thinks Jesus has failed him, believe, don't be afraid. In your waiting, in the moments where you think that God has forgotten you, in the moments where you seem to be an afterthought in his mind, Jesus says, do not fear, do not fear waiting. Do not fear that your timetable is different from my timetable. Do not fear that I'm too late, that I'm not going to show up, that I am ignoring you, that I'm indifferent to your deepest needs or hurts or desires. Do not fear, only believe, he says. Can you believe that God is for you when he is making you wait? Can you trust in God's goodness when your worst fears are realized? What will Jesus do for you when your life becomes a nightmare? What are you waiting for now? What fears are you sharing with God and asking him to help you with? God, give me a healthy child. God, heal my marriage. God, save my family member. God, I need a job so I can better care for my family. God, I don't want to be sick anymore. God, I don't want my wife to die. God, help me get over this past hurt or pain. God, change my husband or my wife. God, take away my sadness. What do you do with God when you implore him for these things and there seems to be no answer except wait? That's the question that this story is thrusting on you. It's the question that God is asking you. That's essentially what Jesus was asking Jairus. And remember, Jairus is a man of faith. 
Jairus has shown trust, but he's getting more than he bargained for in this encounter. And Jesus says exactly to you what he said to Jairus. Don't fear, only believe. If you're going to be an honest reader of this story, you've got to ask, how in the world can Jesus say something like that in that moment with any sort of integrity? Without just seeming callous. And so we see the third point. Don't fear the ending. Don't fear asking. Don't fear waiting. Thirdly, don't fear the ending. 39, Jesus continues to go with Jairus and he reaches his house and he sees the mourning and the wailing and the crying taking place. And Jesus says, what are you making a commotion for and crying? The child's not dead, but sleeping and people derisively laugh at him. They sort of say, this guy's crazy. He's lost it. And then Jesus puts everybody outside except for mom and dad. And his three closest friends, the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he goes into the child's room where the shadow of death has come over this young 12-year-old girl, where there's no breath in her lungs, there's no beating in her heart, and he looks over her with love in his heart and compassion in his eyes, and he says to her, Talitha kumi. The way the ESV takes that is, little girl, I say to you, arise. But it's a term of endearment. Maybe a better translation is, sweetheart, it's time to get up. One of the things you see about Jesus here, as the evangelist Rico Tysus put it, is that it is as easy for Jesus to raise someone from the dead as it is for you to rouse a child from sleep. And I love what Jesus does there at the end. Immediately the girl got up and began walking and Jesus said, give her something to eat. You know, just like, this is just normal practice for Jesus. I raised her from the dead. Time for lunch. Peanut butter and jelly sandwich for the 12-year-old, right? It's normative practice in the kingdom of God for Jesus to speak a word, touch a hand, and lift a person not just physically up, but spiritually out of the tomb. The reason Jesus can say to Jairus, don't fear Jairus, only believe, is because Jesus gives Jairus a lot more than he bargained for. You see, Jairus had asked for a healing, but Jesus gives a resurrection. And the reason that in your waiting and in your suffering, you can trust that God has not ignored you and that he is still for you is that God is going to give you more than you bargained for. As Paul puts it in Ephesians 3, he's going to give you more than you can ask or imagine in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about it this way as we wrap up. Sorry. If God is powerful enough and willing enough to deliver you from death like he delivered this young girl from death, then certainly he is powerful enough and willing enough to deliver you from the things that you fear most now and that you are waiting for now. And he reminds us here through this story that one day he will say to all of us what he said to that little girl. Sweetheart, it's time to get up. One day Jesus will take all of you by the hand and raise you out of death into eternal life. One day your waiting will be forever ended. And you know that that's the case because Jesus himself knows what it is like to wait. Jesus himself knows what it's like to ask God and feel like he's getting only silence as a response. In fact, Jesus, possibly the only human who's ever lived, is the one who actually did get silence as a response. When he prayed to God, let this cup pass from me. And God said, no. 
the heavens were silent. Darkness covered the earth in the middle of the day, in the moment of Jesus' death. You see, God, for a time, allowed Jesus to wait so that he could prove to you that in your waiting he is still good. And God, after allowing Jesus to wait even through death for three days, took Jesus by the hand and raised him up, proving to you that he will also do to you what he's done for Jesus. You see, Jesus understands what it's like to ask God and hear wait. He understands what it's like to wait. He understands what you're going through, and he proves to you that God is still for you because God was still for Jesus and proved that in the resurrection. You see, you have a God that can identify with you in your waiting and in your asking. You have a God in Jesus Christ that has experienced death and been pulled out of it by the power of the Father through the Holy Spirit. And because that gospel message of the death and resurrection of Jesus is true, you can be absolutely certain that God will pull you out of what seems like waiting for death so often in our lives. He will one day say to all of us, indeed to this entire creation, rise up and make all things new. Jesus tells you, don't fear, only believe. And then he proves that there's integrity behind that statement through the gospel, through his own life and death and resurrection. And so the question for you as we finish is this, can you trust Jesus in your waiting? Can you trust him in your life and death His own death and resurrection proves that he is trustworthy. So the call is to rest in him. And I want to just conclude by reading you a verse from the song we're just about to sing, uh, In Christ Alone. Uh, I don't know if it's it's one of the verses. We're just about to sing it. It reflects on what is ours through faith and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it summarizes the story of Jairus and his daughter, the story of, of the woman who was healed by touching Jesus well. Here's what it says. No guilt in life. No fear in death, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, that we stand in your power by faith. We thank you that, God, in our waiting, you have not abandoned us and left left us. We thank you that this story uh, in all of its desperation proves to us that you uh, have not forgotten us, that we are not an afterthought to you, that your ways are not our ways, and that sometimes you do ask us to wait, but that it, it is for our own good, and that you will never leave us forever, O oh God, but because you raised Jesus from the dead. And just as we see Jesus raising this girl from the dead, we have assurance that you will raise us from the dead because you have conquered death. Death has no sting. Death has no victory through the resurrection of Christ. And we thank you for that, O God. Lord, help us to believe. Help us to believe when we're afraid. Help us to believe when we're worried. Help us to believe when we have deep, deep anxiety. Help us to believe when we're waiting and it seems like there's nothing above us except darkness. Help us, O God, to believe as Jesus calls us to hear. And we pray that you would hear us. And work faith in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. At this point in the service, we're going to respond by confessing our sin together. Tonight, we're going to pray uh, this prayer, which is right here on the wall, as a way to respond to the gospel and to ask God to help us not to fear but to believe. And then we'll pause for a moment of silent confession, and I'll read for us an assurance of God's 
pardoning grace. But please join me. Let's pray this prayer together as we confess our sins. Our Father, we are impatient with you and want you to work on our own timetable. We are afraid that you will not take care of us. We are slow to trust that you are good and that you love us. Forgive us for our lack of faith. Help us to rest in your love for us, fully displayed in Jesus Christ. Amen.